So hello and welcome to Physician Spotlight. I'm your host, Dr. Lindsay Russell. Uh, Physician Spotlight is a forum to learn more about outstanding senior leaders, young rising stars, and international colleagues in the field of nutrition, and to discuss important topics and ideas. And with the help of Aspen, we're bringing these videos to you today. So our guest today is Dr. Matthew Kappas. Dr. Kappas is a transplant hepatologist and assistant professor of medicine and gastroenterology at uh, Duke University in North Carolina. Uh, he is an avid clinician scientist with a variety of interests, including frailty in patients with cirrhosis and outcomes post-liver transplantation. I am so excited to have Dr. Kappas here today, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Dr. Russell. Uh, so our first question is, how is your journey in your career, you know, with transplant hepatology, and how do you kind of involve nutrition, and what was your journey to incorporate nutrition in your career? Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to share my story. Um, I uh, completed my training in gastroenterology and subsequently transplant hepatology, but my journey really began as a medical student when I was introduced to hepatology um, by the husband of my lab research um, mentor from college. Um, and they had become a couple that I grew close to during my college years. And it so happened that um, the husband of my mentor was a hepatologist. And so as a medical student, I had an opportunity to work with him for a month in December of my third year. And uh, I worked on the transplant uh, hepatology service and um, went through my first transplants with patients, my first time taking care of patients with decompensated liver disease. And I found the entire process of taking care of these patients incredibly um, fascinating, humbling, you know, an opportunity to really be close to people and hear their stories. You know, a lot of patients with liver disease, they they develop liver disease for a variety of reasons. And those patients have a lot of life experience to share, you know, a young person kind of coming through medical school. And I found myself really drawn to just the care of these patients. I was fortunate then to train at a university setting that um, is one of the leading university centers in, uh, in uh, liver research in the United States at Virginia Commonwealth University. And um, my mentorship there really kind of just continued to encourage this uh, interest in care of hepatology patients. So by the time I came into my fellowship, I, you know, I felt like I was a actually a fairly confident um, clinician uh, in hepatology. And, um, and as I continued in my fellowship years, I just kind of continued to gravitate back towards these patients. So then where did really kind of nutrition come into this? Um, I would say that during my first year of fellowship, I was uh, increasingly disheartened with just how broken down our patients were in, in our inpatient service and felt like we were missing oftentimes a part of their care that just wasn't getting addressed when we're dealing with all of the other decompensating features of liver disease. You know, we're, we're treating varices, we're treating ascites and hepatic encephalopathy, but these patients are so significantly muscle wasted. Their functional status is severely affected and 
you know, we're talking to patients about, you know, you need recommending things like physical therapy, but really didn't have hard evidence to guide the recommendations we were making. And consequently, if you had anybody that asked you more in-depth questions about what it is they needed to do, the, the you know, evidence supporting anything that you might recommend was pretty lacking. So, um, you know, as I started reading the literature, you know, I gravitated towards literature that actually was coming out of Cleveland Clinic um, with colleagues there, um, Alberta, Canada, um, with colleagues there, hepatology colleagues, and, you know, started learning this, having this journey into, on my own on how do I advise my patients uh, to, you know, improve their functional status. And nutrition really became that kind of, um, that field. So, you know, that is sort of where this began um, for me. And, and it ended up becoming a journey that I had to sort of figure out because there wasn't really a formalized pathway uh, into, this, um, into this field. And so um, I can tell you more about that, but, um, but that's really actually where things started for me um, during my, my fellowship, kind of beginning to meld together this idea of bringing nutritional training into my uh, hepatology uh, clinical experience. Yeah, I think, thank you for that. That's, it's so interesting. What really stands out with what you said is just bringing it back to the patients. Like you notice, even as a medical student, you notice, you know, the passion for hepatology and care and then seeing what, how can we optimize things in your unique, you know, liver population. Um, I had a chance to, you know, as an avid researcher in your previous projects, how do, can you uh, touch on how you've related nutrition or frailty in the hepatology uh, realm? Can you kind of touch on kind of research that you've been working on or completed? Absolutely. So, you know, I think, uh, again, this idea of nutrition and, and muscle wasting um, being a component of um, the larger kind of picture, you know, these terms were being thrown out. And as a young trainee, you're sort of you're sort of trying to make sense of, you know, what do these terms mean, and are they, do they all mean do they all mean the same thing? And you really begin to learn that, you know, malnutrition, sarcopenia, and frailty are are amongst the same. Uh, they're very similar, but they all have different. They have separate meanings. And when you're doing nutritional research, you I learned that you know there's so many different ways of actually categorizing somebody as at, at nutritional risk, that that actually added to the difficulty interpreting the, the literature is that there was no standardized approach to count or, you know, identifying somebody as nutritionally at risk or malnourished. Um, and so, you know, as I began my own kind of um, my own research career, the colleagues that I really began to, to identify with were my colleagues who are doing and we do frailty research. Um, frailty as a construct is um, affected and impacted by malnutrition, but it's a functional construct. And um, you know, colleagues doing work in this area really sort of were the first people that I interacted with um, and you know, began to appreciate that if we you know, study this in a uniform fashion that we could actually, uh, you know, come up with and, um, 
develop a uh, construct by which to, to categorize patients um, uniformly. And so then they, then you could actually study questions, you know, do, do, you know, do interventions make a difference? Um, well, to know that you actually have to have a instrument by which to measure the problem. And so frailty um, has really sort of taken on that, uh, that um, uh, role for, for me in my research. And so um, what we have developed is a multi-center group headed by my colleague, Dr. Jennifer Lai, um, and she's really sort of the, the brains behind that operation, um, is looking at liver frailty index and standardizing this as a, uh, as a standard transplant tool. Um, and instead of sort of looking at patients and, you know, sort of in your clinic determining, well, they look kind of frail, um, which is very subjective, um, the liver frailty index incorporates um, objective measures uh, that include hand grip strength, chair sit to stands, and then balance. And this is, an, a, this is a functional assessment, um, which we think uh, adds more uh, than just a muscle mass uh, assessment, because you actually get not just a assessment on muscle, but you get an assessment on neuromuscular coordination. Um, and so by being able to demonstrate that frailty is linked to worse outcomes for patients who are waiting for liver transplant, we now have an instrument by which we can, uh, you know, adequately compare and contrast, you know, different interventions, whether they be, you know, physical therapy-based interventions or nutritional. Well, that's so wonderful. It, and it's, it's interesting, like even in the field of gastroenterology and nutrition, you have multidisciplinary skills that work in, and even uh, our interventions as well as you highlight, even diagnosing frailty or functional status, but also getting our allied health involved to help maximize. Yep. Um, Absolutely. You, you actually bring up such a great point. I think one of the aspects about um, nutritional care that just like is so exciting is that you are working with a a broad uh, group of experts, you know, sure you have, you know, there are people in our, ex in, in this field that are, you know, physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, you know, patients who are people who are seeing patients, you know, regularly um, in the clinic, but you also have other really important um, members, you know, so you have your pharmacists, your, your nutritionists, your dietitians, um, and, and everybody brings a different perspective to the table. And ultimately, you know, who really that honestly benefits are our patients, you know, um, you know, I think the thing that I love about working in my practice is that, you know, there are times where you feel like maybe it'd be great if I was my own, you know, my own everything in, in that office, but you realize that like me as an individual is, is, is limited. And you know, if my patient can benefit from the voices of three or four other colleagues, um, in addition to my advice, um, then I feel like there's almost nothing that we can't handle in our clinic. Um, but, you know, um, nutrition is really exciting like that. You know, there's just a broad array of, you know, researchers, clinicians who are bringing different um, perspectives to the table, things that you may not have thought of. And, you know, 
in medical school and medical school training, residency training, we probably, we really don't do the best job educating each other on these nutritional topics. So, you know, learning from our, our dietitians, our physical therapists, our um, pharmacists is really integral to becoming, I think, you know, well-equipped uh, nutritional um, experts ourselves. Yes, um, I I think I totally agree with you. And I think it's interesting. I even read a book called Range and they talk about scientific dis discoveries. Uh, really, we have our expertise or our trenches, but it's between the trenches that really the magic happens and between the expertise and working together, I think is so important. And that's where change happens for patient care. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, because you, you mentioned this a couple of times, it's just like the role of mentorship. I mean, you had the early exposures to, you know, research um, mentees in medical school and then, you know, getting access to expertise in your institution or even worldwide. Can you touch on how mentorship have really fostered your career so far? Sure. Yeah, I feel incredibly grateful to have had and still continue to have just wonderful mentors who there are different mentors for different phases and stages of my career. You know, I think early on, and, and I, I still feel like I'm early on in my career, right? You know, I'm not so far that I feel like I know everything and I don't think I ever will. You know, I, I really feel that strongly that way. Um, every phase has, has had somebody in it for me that has been integral to kind of expanding my horizon. My mind and my brain wouldn't be able to know what is above what is beyond the horizon right in front of me without that individual or group of individuals who are sort of you know they're kind of stoking a fire stoking a passion to to look beyond what's just right in front of us i think that's a human condition right we can't really know we're all, we're limited by our own perception you know i think it, it's one of the one of the hardest things for us all to overcome as human beings. Um, socially, you know, we only know what's right in front of us. And so if you can, you can have the opportunity to take advantage of, of these relationships, um, you, you absolutely should. But I would say every section, um, Lindsay, college, I can name two or three people. My, un my undergraduate medical education, I told you a little bit about my my mentor there, but there were others as well that sort of, you know, kind of propelled me forward, residency, fellowship, and then even now, you know, and, and then even as, you know, starting in your first years as a new faculty member, growing into that middle, you know, middle career stage, you know, some of my direct peers mentor me in certain ways, you know, certain things that they're very experienced in, you know, navigating, you know, I look to those peers for guidance and, you know, and mentorship uh, in specific kind of sub, uh, you know, sub subjects. So I think it's just really important. I mean, we're really fortunate as healthcare providers to be in an environment that we're exposed to these like really rich minds who have good hearts, um, most of us, and driven by good intentions. And I think if we are open to that input, um, it can lead to a really uh, rich development. So um, mentorship is crucial. And then I think for all of us, and, and you know, yourself in this as well, I mean, 
we get really busy. We get super bogged down. You know, there's a lot coming in on the day-to-day -day, day -day basis. Um, but like when you have that student or that resident or that fellow, you know, approaching you to just kind of slow down for a second and make sure that you give them the time that they deserve, because you don't know what that interaction is going to lead to. You know, that could be a total turn away moment for them, or it could be a moment where something clicks for them and they move forward. And, you know, in order to, to continue to have a, a, a great field that we have, we need young people to be interested in, mm -hmm. you know, medicine. We need young people to be interested in careers, in, you know, as nutrition specialists. So um, mentorship has been crucial. And, and even now, I, I hope I have mentors my whole life. <laughs> yeah, and it's so great. I, I I like your point that in each stage of your career, your needs are different and change. And I also think it's kind of interesting, it, even for myself as well, like when you're advancing in your career that you're becoming a mentor as well along the way. So it's kind of a, you know, pay it forward, full circle. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think sometimes you you wake up in the middle of like an interaction and you're like, hold on a second, I've got to deliver for this person in front of me right now. And I, I need to be thoughtful about how I answer them. Um, I will say just as a, as a plug, I think Aspen has been a place where I have continually kind of come back to for help when it comes to nutritional questions. You know, when I'm buried in my work as a transplant hepatologist, which is my main job description, um, and the colleagues that I even, even the colleagues that I research with, we have to be able to come back to people who um, are thinking about the broader um, field of nutrition. And, you know, Aspen has continued to be a great place for me to, to learn from mentors, to have stimulating discussions um, that have brought ideas to the table um, for how to change a study or add to a study. Um, and so um, I've really appreciated that about the relationship that I have with Aspen. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for physicians, trainees um, to in Aspen to learn and, and foster. Uh, one last question I have is any words of wisdom that you have for any early career providers or researchers in the field of nutrition? I think you have to really keep an open mind and the field of nutrition should not be an afterthought. Our patients, many of whom as a liver specialist, we, are de we deal with a lot of metabolic associated liver disease, things that are impacted, you know, certainly by the genetics of the patient and different environmental factors as they've experienced to, re, you know, to get you to their clinic in the first place. But there are ingrained habits that they have learned, you know, since their childhood. And so I think kind of having that open mind to think creatively about the basics. We are oftentimes wrapped up into what really attractive medical or surgical therapy can we offer our patients, but really remembering that data shows that when a physician counsels on something like tobacco cessation or alterations in, um, in diet, patients listen to that advice. And I think learning more about 
ourselves about how we speak to patients about these topics is really crucial. There are certain words, even just the word diet actually is oftentimes a turnoff for patients completely. Um, so, you know, I think for, for our young um, physicians and care providers out there, you know, having an open mind to think about how can I incorporate uh, nutrition in my practice? Because nutrition affects every single practice uh, out there, whether you're a cardiologist, an endocrinologist, a transplant hepatologist, um, or you're working in the intensive care unit. Nutrition is a basic building block um, by which we can actually help our patients. Um, but you have to think creatively about it because I think it can too easily be bypassed as an afterthought. Um, or, you know, everybody understands this or no, they don't actually. Um, and so just giving patients that opportunity to hear it from you and learn from you, I think, um, does require us to be thoughtful and creative. Yeah, I think, you know what, and creative even in the way, because patients can come from different cultural backgrounds, different experience with food and nutrition. So I think it's really interesting, even from our point of view, but also the patient's point of view. Like, as you say, like sometimes the word diet is a turnoff, but in someone else, that might be exactly what they need to hear. You know, it's so right. unique. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, how do you, you know, my experience, right? How, how do I educate somebody who comes from a completely different culture on how to incorporate the, you know, the basic advice that I'm giving them within their cultural eating habits? I mean, I don't know actually how to answer that question, but it's actually a question that came up recently um, with our fellows. So I think just trying to keep an open mind, you know, that has been my it's been one of the things that I try to do in my clinical practice in order to, you know, serve our patients better. Um, and so I think if you can do that, you can hear the questions um, so that then you can actually formulate a thought and maybe a hypothesis and then address it. Um, but we owe that to the people we take care of. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. Well, um, Dr. Katz, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to Aspen for their partnership to continue with this program and, and for our audience for joining us today and having a listen. I think really good themes came out from our discussion today. And I really appreciate the time that you took uh, answering my questions. Absolutely. Dr. Russell, thank you so much. I really appreciate your hosting and thank you for the questions. Wonderful. Well, thanks, everybody. Have a great day.